We're glad you're joining us here at Common Thread Online. This is a recording of our community gathering as we do each week to think together about the spiritual journey. At the end of the lesson, we open the floor for discussion, but we'd love to hear what you're thinking as well. On our website are directions to download our app. Once you have it, join the group. What are you thinking? We'd love to connect with you there. All summer long, rehabilitating our religion. Uh, the lesson image that you see behind me, the Japanese art of kintsugi. It is uh, taking something that is broken. And anybody who is paying attention knows that our religion is broken. So broken that the title I sent out earlier uh, this week was, Nah, it's too far gone. It can't be repaired. So... It is, in the face of what a lot of people have concluded, religion is not worth repairing, it's a metaphor of hope. Because it says, take something broken, don't toss it, but instead, with labor and with lacquer and with gold, redeem it, re-repair it, rehabilitate it, create a new strength, create a new beauty. Well, if you missed the lesson so far, you can definitely catch up online. You'll hear Angie, you'll hear Sue, Heather talk about where we think the rehabilitating process uh, begins. Angie talked about rehabilitating the Bible. Sue talked about rehabilitating uh, how we think about God. Heather, how we think about human nature. And today I want to talk about why we started there. Why, when we approach rehabilitating religion, we start with the stories that we tell ourselves, stories about the Bible or about God or about our own human nature. So thinking about the lesson, I was driving with Denise this week, and I asked her, <coughs> I said, when people criticize Christians, uh, what do you think they say? What's their critique? And she didn't take long. She'll often mull these things over. She didn't. She just immediately said, I think people say we're inflexible and that we're rigid and that we stick to our beliefs uh, even when they become harmful. Even when they become harmful, we can't let go of them. Heather said something uh, similar when I sent out uh, a text to several people uh, this week. We're inflexible. But here's the thing about inflexible. You heard Angie talk about one approach to the Bible, a very commonly held approach to the Bible that is kind of inflexible. It's a kind of a rigid approach to the Bible. Even when those interpretations begin to do harm to us and to people around us, we can't let go of them. Because it turns out, if you're going to think about rehabilitating religion, you're going to have to start with the stories that we tell ourselves. I asked several friends this week the same question. Uh, when people criticize us as Christians, what do they criticize? Angie texted back first, bam, she was quick, and she came up with an oldie but goodie. She said, hypocrites. When people talk about us, they say we're hypocrites. But here's the thing. You heard Sue talk about our view of God. God made us with the capacity to sin because, you know, all-powerful. God made us knowing that we were going to sin because, you know, all-knowing. And then when we did sin, he blamed us and condemned us to eternal torment, all the while saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. So, what Angie says is true. Often, we Christians are hypocrites, but it turns out our God is a hypocrite. Or maybe we got our story wrong. So if you're going to rehabilitate religion, you're going to have to start with the stories that we tell ourselves. 
Another text I got back is that Christians don't act, they just talk. In other words, the whole thoughts and prayers critique that's become kind of a meme in our society right now started with that. We're not going to do anything, but we certainly are going to pray. I'll pray for you. I won't get out there and change the systems that drive the world because they actually disagree with my politics. Uh, I won't work on the systems that cause pain, but I will pray. But here's the thing. You heard Heather talk about a very commonly held story in the Christian tradition about human nature. It says we are irredeemable because, you know, Eve, you know, the apple she told about when Henry was a little baby. Ah, look at that. Original sin. That's a story that a lot of Christians tell ourselves, that nothing can be done, that we are powerless over our corrupted nature. The only hope that we have is the prayer. So, if there's no image of God that we carry deeply inside ourselves, if we are condemned to death and torment, and there's not a thing we can do about it except pray the prayer, well then prayer is a pretty big deal. So we will put considerable effort into praying the prayer and getting other people to pray the prayer and getting other people to sit in the chairs with us in the church where we do pray the prayer so we can grow the church, so we can get more numbers, so we can get more people praying the prayer because in that story, it's all we've got. All we've got are hopes and prayers. So you can see, if we're going to rehabilitate religion, we're going to have to start with the stories that we tell ourselves. I grew up in Southern California. You can lament with me sometime later. (laughs) The place is already a desert, and to that desert we have added wall-to-wall asphalt from Tijuana all the way to Santa Barbara. (laughs) And so, when I came to Raleigh, Oh, my Lord, paradise. There are trees here. There are nature parks. There are greenways. So when I've got the grandkids, we get out. We get out into the woods. We get out onto greenways. We go stromp our way through creeks. I've bought uh, lots of pairs of uh, Crocs just so we can go creek stomping, and we uh, do that. And we do it every day that we can, unless it's 90 degrees with 73% humidity, which it was on Monday. So I said to the boys, today we're going to the movies (laughs) where it's (laughs) air-conditioned. And so we saw the new Pixar movie uh, about the four Greek elements. A boy from the water tribe falls in love with a girl from the fire tribe and always one to ruin a good movie-going experience. I did what I do with my kids and now my grandkids after a show or a movie in the car ride home. And I asked him, what do you think the writer of that movie wants you to think? What idea did the writer of that movie have in their head that they want you to have in your head? What did they write that movie to get you to agree with? And as you can imagine, poor kids, I mean, they just got out of kindergarten and second grade. Come on. (laughs) So I said, I'll give you a hint. They did not want you to think about the four Greek elements. They wanted you to think about people, and they wanted you to think about how people live and how people get along or how people don't get along. So that was pretty good breadcrumbs, I thought, and so we had an interesting conversation on the ride home 
well, Grandpa, here's kind of what I think. Even though Fire Girl's dad definitely doesn't think that fire people should be with water people, the writers wanted us to know it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. And so what do you know? They got it. That's what they get. So now I said, now the next question is always we have to ask. Once we know what the writer of a show or the writer of a movie wants us to agree with, now we get to ask the question, do we? Do we agree with that? Do we agree with their idea? What do you think? And so we all decided, yeah, pretty much, <laughs> except for one part. We thought the writers exercised a very weak metaphor because water does extinguish fire and fire does evaporate uh, water. So all that fire and water hugging and kissing that happens at the end, we're not buying it. <laughs> we don't think that really happens. <laughs> Well, I have this long history of ruining shows and movies for my kids, now my grandkids, because of a reason. <laughs> and here's why. I grew up in a church that never asked those questions. Matter of fact, told us not to ask those questions. Uh, never ask, what is this story trying to get me to think? And do I? Do, what happens to me when I buy this story? As a matter of fact, in the church that I grew up in, you were not allowed to do that. It wasn't just that we didn't do it. We were actively discouraged, prohibited from doing it. We were actually discouraged to go to any school that would then teach us to ask those kinds of questions. Now, you've heard me say this thing all the time. It is our way to lose our way but it is also our way to find our way when we've lost it. That comes with a great deal of historical understanding. We have lost our way so many times, and yet we have found our way as many times minus one. We are losing our way right now, and we haven't yet found it, but we are finding it. So, that's been true in history. It happens again and again and again. It is our way to lose our way but it is also our way to find our way when we lose it. But there's something that will get in the way of that natural process happening, and it is that. When we don't normalize the pra practice of examining and challenging the stories that we tell ourselves. If we don't stand back from our stories, and we just let them grind away inside of us, telling us what to think and telling us how to act and telling us who's okay to be friends with and who it's not okay to be friends with, telling us what to look for, which then will determine what we actually see and find. If we don't do that, we will not find our way again. If we keep telling ourselves, if we keep telling one another, God is this way, and we don't ever question it, the Bible is that way, and we don't ever question it. Human nature and sin and salvation and the afterlife, they are this way. Don't look behind the curtain. Don't ask those questions. If we don't do that, we will not find our way again. Now again, our religion is broken. So are all the other institutions in society. It's one of those moments in history when the, where our worldview is in upheaval. So consequently, you and I were born into a generation that's all about reformation, about transformation and change. It's all about updating the stories that we tell ourselves. That makes story updating one of the critical skills required of our time. That makes story updating one of the critical skills of our time. 
In the remaining weeks of the lesson, you'll hear how some of their core stories that need updating, uh, updating stories about sin, about what salvation is and isn't. I'm deciding if I'll do the last lesson because uh, it's, it would naturally be about updating our story of the afterlife. But I hope you remember, I just did that when we talked about redeeming that song. So I'm not sure whether I'll do it again to make the lesson complete or whether I'll just refer you to that one. But the lesson is an invitation to see what our stories do to us. To see by bringing the stories to the light, by examining them, because stories like this, they run deep and they don't often get seen or examined, to take them from the tacit to the explicit and ask, what do I think about that? Do I agree with that? What is that story doing to me? And do I want it to do that to me what do I think now here's why that matters <clears throat> our ethics our behaviors whether we act badly or whether we act well is determined powerfully by our stories let me just give you a few examples today a lot of Christian people have a story in their guts pretty unexamined but kind of in there and the story goes something like this. God favors some people, and God doesn't favor some other people. Now, different Christian groups have different ideas of who God favors and who God doesn't, but basically there are a group of people that get God's favor, and usually it's the people who have prayed the prayer, or who go to church, or who give money, or who think like we think, or who are well-behaved, or who are on our side of whatever culture war issue happens to be most pressing of the day. And while we don't state it overtly, we assume God favors those people and gives them blessings. There's an if-then construct. If we do this, then God will do that. Which is a way of saying God favors these people and not those people. We will get a better life if we do this. We'll especially get a better afterlife if we do this. We'll get a worse life if we don't. Now, as these stories do, that one gets pretty entrenched in there. So entrenched that we don't even see some of the things that happened to us. So we might be with our own tribe one day. This has happened in my church upbringing. I hope it didn't happen in yours. Where something bad happens to someone who's part of the part of the tribe. And we kind of think to ourselves, what did they do? Well, there, there's something going on, probably sin somewhere in the camp. Do they believe wrong? Did they act wrong? What secret thing? Because that is not God's favor. What did you do? So, if we realize when someone isn't being blessed, that they must be in the God does not favor group. They are probably like the other folks in that group. You know, the atheist people, they're not favored by God, or the Muslim people, or the gay or lesbian or trans people. When I was a kid, it was the Catholic people, or the Jehovah's Witness people, or the Mormon people. Uh, making a big comeback lately is the women people, or especially the women leading in church people or the pro-life people, or when I was a kid, it was divorced people, especially if they remarried after they were divorced people, especially damned then. 
even when I was a kid, go to college people because that's where you ask the questions that you're not supposed to be asking or go to therapy people. I don't know why, but there was a problem with go to therapy people. And my God, some of those folks could have gone to therapy (laughs) (coughs) or social justice people. Because once we tell a story that our benevolent Father in heaven favors some people but not other people, it's not long before we figure out how to do the same. Usually it's more instinct than it is a thoughtful strategy. We just find ourselves morphing into that way of being, but we figure out some way where we favor some people and not other people like God does. And it all starts with a story, usually unexamined, usually not looked at. Same thing happens with how we think about responsibility. It all starts with a story. How much of what happens is all on me? How much of what happens isn't all on me? It's a story. What about the environment? Tell a story about sin breaking the world and it's all going to burn anyway and then why would we care about exploiting nature? But on on the other hand, tell a story about the world being made of divine breath, immeasurably precious. Then we venerate it. We repair it. We protect it. It all starts with a story. Or how do we think about second chances, giving people second chances or third chances or 15th chances or 40th chances? If our story tells us you better decide before you die because it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment, you better decide right or you are screwed, then we're kind of unlikely to extend unlimited redemptive possibilities to other people but carry around a different story and we begin to keep trying and keep extending and keep offering repair and redemption and restoration i resisted becoming a preacher for a long time because a lot of the preachers that i knew were functioning according to a story that says if i will serve god god will take care of my kids So it's okay if I'm out every night, and it's okay if I miss dinners, and it's okay if I miss soccer games because serving God. It's okay if I neglect my kid because God. Well, that's a damaging story. I didn't want any part of that. Or here's a big one. It's the one and true truth story that we talk about. We have it. They don't. It's all good. That one drives the critique that Denise mentioned carry a story that there is such a thing as a one and true truth and that we have it, then we don't ask questions and we don't allow doubts and we don't challenge constructs that we carry around inside of ourselves. We don't even question our practice when we see them doing harm. We don't even change our constructs when we see them painting us into a corner, making us act so differently from the way Jesus taught us to act. Unspoken, unexamined, if you have the one and true truth, it would be bad to change. But it's a story. That one, interestingly, is a story our tradition has explicitly told us not to tell. We don't have a one and true truth we are taught. We don't know anything about anything that is truly important. We call that one the ineffability doctrine or the transcendence doctrine. We don't have it. So, stories exist And they either determine whether we function with arrogance or humility. 
whether we open with open mind, uh, function with open-mindedness or closed-mindedness, whether we consider or don't consider, we might have it wrong. Someone else might have a truth that we have not yet seen. If your story tells that you are at the core of who you are, ugly, corrupted, sinful nature, totally depraved is the way one of the stories goes, why would you ever practice silence? Because if you start quieting the noise of the outer parts of your personality and you get down to the deepest part of who you are and what you get to is this ugly, ugly, sinful consciousness, why in the world would you ever meditate? That's what Buddhists do. And when they do, by the way, they invite the devil into their hearts. Which, crazily enough, I was taught when I was growing up. And also, the stories that we tell determine how much energy we devote to caring for others. How much energy we devote to our relationships. How many hours we work in a week. How much stress we experience. And then when we experience what we do about it, having experienced it. Same thing with anxiety. How much anxiety we feel. What we do when we feel anxiety. Depression and loneliness. What we deal with substances all start with some story that sets some agenda for our lives. Same thing's true with our financial decisions how we tend to our health, how we spend our time, how we spend our energy, stories. How we act in the moment in history in which we lived when things are as polarized as they are. How much screen time we have in our lives, how much disinformation we absorb, and what we do when we absorb disinformation, stories. So, we are a spiritual community. One of the functions and roles of a spiritual community, the whole design of the thing, is to help us help one another unearth and examine our unconscious stories. To help us help one another recognize the stories that we do tell ourselves so that we have the option to agree with them or not agree with them. We have the option to challenge them or not challenge them, to reframe them or not reframe them. The whole point of a spiritual community existing is to help us help one another see from more perspectives than we have seen, explore other ideas than we have explored. Sure enough, we've got a whole curriculum on how to do it. We call it work in the circle. What we do if we practice, uh, practice the communal practices and the contemplative and the learning and the serving, that helps us see the stories that we tell ourselves. That helps us weaken the hold that they have over us that gives us the option to decide to make different choices, potentially better choices, to become better people kind people, loving people. And so may that be so. In Dwelling Divine, may we be the kind of people who engage the practices of story unearthing. See what drives us and then have the option to build our lives on better stories. Amen. Well, I have seen the financial report, and uh, we are holding steady. 
thank you all. We had that community meeting. We said we were a little bit behind on our monthly. You, we have met that monthly two months running now. Good for us. We're still, uh, this week, we, uh, this month, we actually came out dead even because we didn't, uh, a lot of the big expenses that have, were associated with the move uh, got filed last month, and then some of them will probably get filed next month. So don't be surprised if we go in the hole next month, even if we meet our budget. But remember, we're just trying to meet the budget. So thank you. We're doing a good job taking care of our finances. We all give online now. Uh, you go to the website, go to the top. There's a button, lots of ways to give. Uh, and remember what we say every time. Uh, there is great return when we invest in spiritual community. When we give our time and our energy, when we give our love and our dollars, the community takes those resources, amplifies them, and gives them back to us in the form of an environment in which human beings thrive and flourish and grow. So, again... We all give online now to go there and do that. Um, <coughs> yeah, that's, I said that. Okay, now those of you who are online, um, we do Zoom right after the lesson. What we do on that Zoom is the same thing that we do here in the room. We do a version of what are you thinking? Opening the floor saying, well, what do you think about that? Those of you online, another thing happens as well. Over time, what's happening is the folks who show up start getting to know each other. And even though they live in very disparate parts of the world, they end up becoming dear to one another. And then we start finding our way to having places to connect that are even beyond the, what happens on Sundays after the lesson. So hope you'll go over there and Zoom. Uh, the, you can get the link. I think I put the slide up here. Oh yeah, you're supposed to do that, yeah. So you can go to our website, and it'll give you the link right there. You just go to the front page and go down out to where the announcements are. If it's not on the announcement one, just click Show More, and then you'll get to the one that says that, and then when you see it, that's, that's the link. You're going to probably need a password to get in. That password is 1417. 1417. Okay. Oh, we did that. Yeah, let's do that. Let's dismiss the folks who are online, shall we? Uh, if you would, please put your hand on your heart to remind us that we are, every one of us, carriers of the indwelling divine. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, what we call the fruit of the Spirit, it is in us because we are carriers of divine breath. And if you would extend your other hand to our city, let's look for opportunities to share what's already in us with the people that we live and work and go to school with, looking for opportunities to repair and heal our worlds. Amen. God bless you all. You are dismissed. We are not. If these recordings help you move forward on your spiritual journey, we hope you'll take an ownership stake in the community and support the health and well-being of the community. Go to our website, commonthreadchurch.org. The donate button is right there on the top. Thank you.